Legends of Wasteland City is a post-apocalyptic anthology series and may contain references to drugs, sex, and violence, along with the occasional vulgarity. You've been warned. The Ones Who Came Before, Chapter 8 Zinn spent the next couple days learning the ins and outs of the Duke's base. The militant tribe was actually a pretty entertaining group of people. They took their duties very seriously, but they also seemed to have a lot of fun. At night, most of the camp would gather by the fire pit, tell stories, sing songs, and cook whatever desert vermin happened to get caught in their traps. Zinn had so far eaten smoked fox, barbecue rat, and roasted vulture. There were about 40 of them or so, including the WCC and Brother Justify, along with his handful of the favored, his closest followers that would do several rituals throughout the day, and none of whom took the iodide pills that Vash distributed daily. Most of the Dukes had their own specialty and assignments. Grin turned out to know a few things about chemistry, while Hotshot lived up to her role as morale officer and would make rounds to check on the entire camp. She jokingly threatened them with a large paddle called the morale booster, but Zinn couldn't tell how serious she was. And as it turned out, Hotshot was married to another female duke called Mouse, who very rarely came outside and seemed to mostly do clerical work around the base. There were a couple contingents of dukes out on gun-running missions to settlements in different directions. One group was expected back a week ago, but late transport missions were pretty normal, so nobody seemed to be worried yet. They'd raised a yellow flag from the mast in front of camp, just below a green flag with a falling bomb on it, which was the Duke's own insignia. The yellow flag was a sign to their returning tribemates that the camp was distressed and that they should approach with caution. Hopefully they'd see it in time if they came over the hills to the south, but if they traveled with the freeway, it might be too late before it was in line of sight. The radio also sent out a coded message disguised as a commercial for Dead Raider Jerky, which may have also been meant to antagonize the bloodbacks a little. Only two of the WCC, Casper and the Swede, stayed in camp full-time. They took turns operating the radio, which ran 24 hours a day. The radio announcements must have worked pretty well, because a few times already, groups of Outlanders had showed up outside the gate looking to barter with the Dukes, or send some mail down to Los Angeles, or north to New Vegas. She remembered a few times when her own tribe mates had made the journey to this camp, but they hadn't told her everything about it. Perhaps they didn't want anyone deserting the cattle ranch to join up with this pair of tribes so full of conveniences that the ranch never had. The WCC would also send mail back with travelers if their route happened to be where it was addressed to, always deputizing them as postmen and making them take an oath of delivery. Through the heat of day and chill of night, across tamed lands and hostile territories, with my life and to death itself, I'll do all in my power to see this package delivered. Swede and Casper took the mail very seriously. Zinn had asked the Swede if the mail always got to its destination. Some of it does, and that's enough to make it worth it. We charge up front anyway. They also had a roving crew of official mail deliverers, but none of them had been through camp in the past few days. They ran routes all the way up and down the west coast and east as far as Uranium Springs in old Arizona, which had been a festival ground before the bombs fell. And the people that took refuge there when the shit hit the fan just stayed. Now it was one of the largest settlements north of Phoenix. While they were broadcasting the radio, they also monitored incoming messages on short wave bands. 
It was much faster than the walk to Bar's town and see if anyone has nails to trade method they used on Zin's ranch. But they didn't have electricity there, let alone a shortwave radio. The small FM receiver they had on the ranch had to be wound up and charged every half hour or so. In the broadcast room, the suite had a big map of Southern California, Arizona, and Las Vegas. Although on this map it was called Las Vegas without the T. It showed the borders of the California Republic, along with the territories of smaller tribes, with marks pointing out all sorts of information. Which tribes had radios, postal routes, fresh water, what each community had for trade and areas to avoid. She saw her ranch at the old Barstown Airport there too, with meat, milk, cheese, and rawhide written under it. Casper had asked her if there was any possibility of more survivors, and when she told him no, he said he was very sorry and drew a big X over the site. On the map, there were many sites with X's on them. Well, I guess that's the last of the cheese for a while, he said to no one in particular. Zinn was staying in the room across from the radio room, on the bunk bed where she slept the first day. The other camp members came and went to reach the refrigerator, and to get things stored in the room, but she didn't mind. It was nice to have people around again. Grin would come in when she was going to sleep and read to her from the top bunk. It was a book called Alice in Wonderland, and it was a wonderful story. The girl in the book, Alice, had an amazing imagination, and one day followed a rabbit down a hole to a magical land. She found out that Grin had arrived in camp almost a year ago and had just decided to stay. When she asked what brought him there, Grin just said he followed the rabbit. Brother Justify seemed to be more of a tolerated presence in the camp. He mostly kept to himself, often writing or reading old books in the radio building. He also spent quite a bit of time in the mountain bunker. He'd slip in through the door, beside the large elephant doors, which never opened. Zinn hadn't been in there yet, but had the feeling that it was off-limits to her, although it wasn't really said specifically. One time she got close to the door that Justify would go through, and Blue, the shortish female duke she'd seen planting explosives outside the wall, grabbed her. Hey, you know how to shoot? Not really. <laughs> well, let's go. It's fun. Blue very excitedly took Zinn over to the armory, where Big Spoon and Bullet were doing inventory with a couple other dukes. It was a metal building built into the canyon wall halfway through camp. Inside were rows of rifles, shotguns, pistols, boxes of bullets and grenades. This was more weapons than Zinn had ever seen before, even in the bloodback camp. Most appeared to be in good condition, too. Where do you get all these? Bullet looked at her with a proud smile. Yeah, there was a stockpile in the bunker there. Plenty more, too. MREs, tools, even a tank. A tank of kerosene. Big Spoon cut him off. What a lucky break. Right, Bullet? Yeah. Thank the ones. Bullet lowered his head back to his work. Zinn figured they were hiding something, but decided to let it pass. Instead, remembering the phrase from when Mud had used it. The ones? The ones who came before. She gestured around the room. Where all this came from. Still have old Henry? Sure do. You doing some target practice? I think it's time Zinn learned how to shoot. Big Spoon grabbed a small rifle from one of the racks and handed it to Blue. Just cleaned it too. And Bullet took an ammo can from the shelf in the back and handed it to Zinn. It was heavy for a small box. Here, you'll need these. Happy hunting. With old Henry and her own rifle, each over a shoulder, Blue led Zinn back into the camp and into a tent that was used for storage. There were extra MREs, other weapons still in crates, water jugs, and plenty more. 
Blue explained that this was one of several last lines of defense, and that most explosives were kept here, away from the rest of camp. Blue then went to the back and lifted a flap of the tent, exposing an opening in the cliff wall where there was a passageway through the mountain. It went completely black for a while as they walked in, but Zin just held on to Blue's jacket as she led the pair through the darkness. If the shit hits the fan, this is the only other way out. When they reached the end of the passageway, Blue turned a large metal wheel, somehow finding it easily in the dark, then pushed open a metal blast door in front of them. Zin was blinded for a second by the light, then saw the door had been locked from the inside by the giant wheel attached to metal braces. They walked outside into a concrete bowl formed beneath the rock, and had to climb up a set of stairs built into the bowl's edge to get to ground level. This makes it hard to see from outside. Hold up. At the top of the concrete bowl, Blue took a minute to scout the landscape and make sure no one was watching. She then stood up and led Zin into a small canyon, which was east of the main entrance, where a shooting range was built into the cliffside. There wasn't much to it, just a row of old cars, some scattered oil drums, and a couple dummies made from scrap corrugated metal and road signs. The chest of the biggest one was made from a stop sign with spray paint writing that made it say, Don't Stop Believing, a reference she did not pick up on. Blue had Zen shoot rusty soup cans off the top of the oil drums, and after an hour of envisioning every bloodback face she could remember, Zin was knocking down cans with almost every shot and put a few rounds in the Don't Stop Believing guy for good measure. When they were done, Blue told her to keep the rifle she was using. Old Henry is the one I started with. It's just a 22. Not big on stopping power, but it'll make him think twice and won't kill your shoulder. Carry it with you always, and let me know when you're ready for an upgrade. Oh, and see Bullet if you run out of ammo. He's got more 22s than we'll ever need. It'll save him from pulling the powder out for reloads. The two women packed up their guns and headed back in the way they came. From a mile away, tucked beneath a burned-out 18-wheeler on the side of the Needles Freeway, Bile watched through a sniper's scope that he was using to scout the camp. He handed it to the bloodback next to him. Well, well, Sledge. You were right. Looks like there is another way in. I told you! Sledge was stoned out of his mind. On his side, he had a bag full of uppers, downers, and anything else that could give the bloodbacks an edge when they needed it. But he'd been long addicted to several of them. I'll go fill in Zealot. You stay here. I want to know everything that goes in and out of that camp. And try not to go through your whole stash. We're going to need some of that later. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm not going anywhere. Once Bile crawled out from the backside of the trailer and was out of view, Sledge reached into his bag and selected a handful of pills, popping the whole bunch in his mouth and swallowing. His eyes dilated in hyper-focus as he trained the scope back out on the Duke's front entrance. Back in the camp, Zin and Blue walked through the courtyard to return their extra ammo to the armory. Zin looked around and saw several Duke soldiers posted up by the front wall. They'd been on high alert for the past couple days, always keeping an eye out for the bloodbacks to make a move. Their camp was well armed, but the bloodbacks had them outnumbered by more than double if they decided to have a go at the wall. A few times a day, Mongo would take a buggy out with a couple of the other MPs to patrol the area to make sure the bloodbacks weren't camped out somewhere staging their attack or preventing the outlander caravans from reaching camp. So far, there hadn't been any sign of them, which seemed to almost irritate Grimm. Why can't they just make their move and be done with it? Zinn had heard him say from outside his tent during an officer's meeting. 
For the past few days, Zin tried to make herself useful, sewing scrap material together and filling them with dirt to shore up the sandbag barriers. It was hard labor, but she was used to it from the ranch. Moving some earth was pretty standard back home. She thought a lot about her family, but these dukes did make her feel like she belonged. Especially Hotshot, Blue, and that funny character Grin. A few days passed with no sign of the bloodbacks, which Zin was very happy about. She still wanted revenge, but never wanted to drag anyone else into it. She'd visit Mud a few times a day. He was awake now and recovering, but Vash, having relocated all barter duties to Big Spoon and Bullet, still wouldn't let him out of the bed. You're not going outside until that wound is completely closed. Casper had brought a radio in next to his bed so he could hear the music and Brother Justify's daily sermon. That and the constant visits from the whole tribe had kept him pretty entertained while he was sequestered to the makeshift infirmary. The radio was playing as Zin came in to visit on her eighth day in camp, carrying old Henry over her shoulder. Mutt was alone except for the dog that had taken up guard duty by the side of the bed. Pulling himself up to a sitting position, he was shirtless with a fresh bandage wrapped around his torso. He was slender, but muscular, and Zin thought he looked pretty good considering the hole in his side. If only he was a few years older. I think you need a new call sign. Oh yeah? And I'm guessing you have a suggestion? I was thinking lucky shit. Or maybe leak? <laughs> Mutt laughed, which brought a sharp pain to his side. He held his waist and grimaced. Guess you're not quite ready for my jokes yet. <laughs> and speaking of which, how long until you can get out of this bed? Vash says tomorrow as long as it's still not infected. I see you got a gun. That mean you're a duke now? Honorary, I suppose. I'm not staying forever, just until... Just until we get Zealot. Yeah, I know. Hey, listen. He was cut off by the wail of an air raid siren from outside the tent. Zin looked at Mutt. They're here. The Ones Who Came Before was written by me, Mike Makeshift Darling, narrated and directed by Makeshift. The Swede, Blue, Bullet, and Warchief Grimm all played themselves. Casper was played by Ryan Lowe's. Zinn was played by Mallory Trinnell. Mutt was played by Sean Cunningham. Big Spoon was played by Paul Bellantoni. Vash was played by Gavin Layton. Bile was played by Kaylin Chase. And Sledge was played by Brett McCabe, who also helped with several voiceover recordings. Legends of Wasteland City is a production of the Apocalypse Post. You can help support Legends of Wasteland City and the Apocalypse Post by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash theapocalypsepost. Stick around after the break for more info on today's episode. In the Wasteland, you no get radiation. Radiation get you. But you can build your tolerance with concentrated formulas today. Dr. Prepper Labs is developed concentrated formula therapy. We can help build up your tolerance to those pesky ionizing particles with gradual healthy doses of X-rays, gamma rays, and quasi-stable ionizing particle exposures. Dr. Prepper, your particle accelerator. Dr. Prepper may not be available in your area due to, well, even the most basic health regulations. But you can still get a Dr. Prepper propaganda poster 
in the Apocalypse Outpost merch store. Link in the show notes. It's been a long time since you could just go down to your local drugstore and get yourself a brand new pocket-sized tube of lip-saving chapstick. If your lips have turned into crunchy sandstone like mine used to be, pick up a vial of Eli's Cat Oil Lip Balm. Every batch of Eli's Cat Oil Lip Balm comes from organic, free-range, wild-caught cats. And don't worry, these aren't your little cuddly kittens. They're the kind that would eat you for dinner if given half the chance. Eli's Cat Oil Lip Balm, cause it's all we got. Hello, survivors. Thanks for tuning in to this chapter eight of The Ones Who Came Before. We're getting close to the end. As you can tell by that little cliffhanger, the bloodbacks have arrived. We got two chapters left. So does that mean that the two chapters are both going to be one epic battle between these two tribes that we've been watching for so many episodes now? I think it does. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes down. No matter what, it's going to be a fun ride. So stick around. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss the next two chapters because they are going to be insane. I'm really excited for you guys to hear them. In today's episode, we met several brand new characters. Let's start right from the top. Bullet and Big Spoon. These are two real people from the Dukes of the Nuke. And yes, they do actually work in our armory. At Wasteland Weekend, they take turns. Uh, Bullet, Big Spoon, and Vash. They all take turns in our armory bartering for weapons and sending people out on missions uh, to earn caps and all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, they basically hold it down and they are the faces of the Dukes when you come for missions and to trade. So pretty cool to get them involved. Of course, Bullet did his own voice. Big Spoon did not. He was played by my buddy Paul Bellantoni, uh, who's actually a singer-songwriter here in Nashville, and uh, he did a great job with it. And of course, Blue, the last of the B-Squad, coming in this episode for some rifle shot training with Zinn, uh, making sure that she knows how to shoot because she's going to need it. And uh, yeah, Blue absolutely crushed it. She's a wonderful part of the Dukes of the Nuke. Everyone loves Blue. <laughs> and the last new character for today's episode was Sledge, one of the bloodbacks. Uh, we're just meeting him, and uh, he was actually a late addition to the story. It seemed like, you know, we need some more bloodbacks. And I really like these short scenes where we kind of show the bloodbacks preparing a little bit, even though they're not showing their faces to the Duke's camp. And uh, Sledge is really interesting. He's gonna he's gonna play a very integral role coming up in the next couple episodes. So stick around and enjoy him. But uh, yeah, Brett played him, and Brett did help record a bunch of VOs. He did a huge contingent of the LA Dukes, getting them all recorded for me. So I asked if he wanted to do a little something something, and he said, "Yeah, but I want to play like a like some kind of a crazy bad guy." He actually wanted to play a mutant, is what he suggested. I was like, "Well, there's no mutants in this, but I'll do the next best thing." and get you a drug-addicted blood back. So there you go. But yeah, that's not the last we've seen of Sledge or Bile, because there's more coming, guys. Uh, so this episode, kind of like the last one, was a little bit more relaxed. It's, this is a bit of an exposition passage of time episode, showing the Duke's camp from Zinn's perspective as she gets to know the ins and outs and uh, gets to know the Dukes and the WCC and all the rest of the rabble that are hanging out in camp. I hope that it didn't stray too far away from the linear storytelling that we've been doing so far, but uh, I thought it was kind of fun, and, and really this was just to kind of speed through 
this whole like new place that she's exploring. I, I wanted to kind of give like a lay of the land, but you know, for me to really expand on any of the stuff that's happening in this camp, it would just be too many episodes. So we had to kind of speed things along a little bit. So I hope you enjoyed that. Of course, Mutt has been stuck in his medical bed this whole time. So the story is really not following him very much at all. It's really just Zinn's perspective from here. Although next episode, we're going to start bringing him back and uh, we're, we're going to do a shared perspective from here on out because it's very much both of their stories. It's Zinn and Mutt. Whereas a normal story would have one hero, uh, this one is a little bit more of, a, of an everybody. There's a lot of... There's some extra storylines going on, I suppose. And yeah, as we keep going, we find out that the Bloodbacks have been scouting the camp. You know, they're, they're forming their plan ever so slowly. It's kind of interesting because, yeah, I do mention Mongo and the MPs, they're, they're doing, they are scouting back, but they did not catch Bile and Sledge hiding underneath the truck over by the road. It seems like it should be an obvious thing, but you know, those Bloodbacks, they're pretty clever. So, so far they've been avoiding getting caught. Anyway, tune in to the next episode, to, well, the next pair of episodes to find out how all this goes down. We've, we've kind of built up this very large battle that's coming up, and it will be a battle. There will be much blood, many guns, much explosions. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, anyway, let's talk about some real world news. So Wasteland Weekend's coming up really soon. Uh, and if you happen to be attending, there's a few things you need to know. Uh, I got a lot of Duke's news here. All right, let's see. Of course, the Dukes and Nuke will be there in full force. We camp out on Main Street in Wasteland City. Um, we are once again hosting our USO open mic shows uh, Wednesday and Friday at 6 o'clock. And uh, I, Makeshift, will open the stage at 5.45 with a few songs each night. And that's going to be right when sign-ups start. So we'd love to see some people showing up for the open mic, get there at 5.45 to sign up, and the show will start right at 6. We had some really cool stuff last time. We had um, music performances, dances, um, we had some storytelling, we had comedy, we had all sorts of really fun stuff, and uh, we're really hoping to see it all again. I'd love to see some new people show up, but we're doing two shows, and I think we're changing a couple things. The first five will get to do two songs or seven minutes. Everyone that signs up after that will get one song or five minutes to kind of keep things moving along. Yeah, we're trying to make it a little bit more fun for the people that get there early. And Thursday, we're gonna do something brand new. So. I'm in Nashville, and here in Nashville, uh, songwriters will get together and do these things called writer's rounds, which is usually four singer-songwriters sharing a stage, and then they take turns each singing a song, uh, and it tends to be about four or five songs each. So we're going to do something very similar and create what's called a writer's round. So we're also going to have four singer-songwriters that just so happen to have post-apocalyptic songs in their repertoire. Uh, and we're actually still making selections, so if you guys are interested in performing in the Raiders round, send at least one post-apocalyptic song to theapocpost at gmail.com. And I'll tell you a little bit about how this is going to go. All four Raiders will get the chance to sing one song in turn in front of an audience, and then the audience will decide which one of them will be put to death, which one will be murdered, because they are singing for their lives. Whoever gets chosen to be murdered will get to sing one more song as a goodbye to the audience. And then um, Hotshot, who actually runs uh, Dungeons & Dragons games as a dungeon master, is going to explain exactly how your death happens. And then it will be acted upon by the MPs, our military police of the Dukes of the Nuke. And they will 
you know, pretend murder the raider. So it should be a lot of fun. Then we'll be down to three raiders. They'll each play a song. Same thing will happen again. One will get voted. They'll sing their goodbye song and we'll be down to two. Those two will sing one last song in competition. Of course, one will be selected to leave the stage and will promptly be killed, uh, leaving the winner to end the show with one final song. So it should be a lot of fun. I hope that you guys uh, are interested and will come watch the show at the Dukes of the Nuke stage. And of course, the Dukes of the Nuke and the Apoc Post is going to be, we're going to be hosting a merch store in camp and we'll have our pinup calendars, keychains, and most of the Apocalypse Post store uh, will be available, including the t-shirts and the patches and the pins and the stickers and all sorts of fun stuff, um, including our snap wrap koozie which was a hit last year so come get a snap wrap koozie i'm gonna have them on sale this year and what else oh you heard me mention the dukes of the new calendar we did a pinup calendar this is the third annual the third time we're doing this project and you get to see the dukes of the nuke wearing a little bit less than normal all around guys girls pairs groups <laughs> if you want to help us to put together all the things that make our camp awesome including the stage, including um, a great hangout area, and including all the guns that we end up giving away or bartering for very cheap. Uh, you can do so by purchasing one of the Dukes of the Nuke, Dukes After Dark pinup calendars. They were for sale right now um, on pre-sale with a pickup at Wasteland Weekend, or we will ship them to you after the event, and they are going for, I wanna say $25 each, two for 40, so a big deal if you get two and if you do go for the shipping option, uh, they're on sale there for $5 more plus a $2 shipping charge or something like that, uh, which helps to cover the shipping because they are not cheap to ship. Uh, and then we will, of course, have them have the extras for sale at Wasteland Weekend so you can buy your Deuce After Dark calendar. Uh, it's going to be limited supply, so get there early or pre-sale buy them because once they're gone, they are gone. And you'll have to wait till next year for us to take off our clothes again. All right, guys, that's about it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend. And if you hated it, please share it with an enemy along with a bottle of never going to give you uppers or let you downers. And uh, I'll see you next time, survivors. Stay alive. Ten days in